The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug, but I ended up connecting to the world around me, a world where each sunset was painted, where I felt adventure's pulse with every step, and where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is the captain. And we are happy to entertain you while you pretend to be busy at work. What's that, boss man? You need those TPS reports right on your desk? I'll get them to you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are sipping on The Great Return by Hardywood Park Craft Brewery. This is a fantastic IPA that is hoppy, piney, and a little sweet. ABV 7.5%. I wanted to feature The Great Return with kumquats and grapefruit because that's my favorite, but I don't think you can get that anymore. So today, sipping on The Great Return IPA. Garage grade, 4 out of 5 bottle caps. Let's toast some friends, Captain. First up, cheers to Lindsay and Parts Unknown. Lindsay is thanking us for putting all the older episodes up on the Stitcher app. She started listening to TCG a year ago, and she's getting caught up on the Stitcher app. And a big we like your jib to Laura in Katy, Texas. Next, we have Lauren in Iwa Beach, Hawaii. And we have Amanda sending us a cheers from Sin City. Next, a big, big cheers and thank you to Ashley in Toronto. Ashley follows the show on Instagram. And last but not least, a long-distance tink of the glass to Katie McQuaid in Glasgow, Scotland. Ting, ting, ting. So thanks to everybody for the cold beers and the kind words. If you want to help us out with next week's show, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and click on the donate button. And give us a minute, okay? Because we're a little bit behind on these beer donations. And that is enough of the beers. Okay, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Before we dive too much further into this missing child case, we want to take this opportunity to listen to an interview conducted with Lehigh County Sheriff Lynn Bowerman. And this is from EastIdahoNews.com. Let's go back to the beginning. Can you kind of give us a timeline as to when the family arrived and what proceeded? Well, the family, from what I understand that we learned during the investigation, arrived the evening prior to July 10th. 
sometime uh, fairly close to dark on Thursday, July 9th. And then uh, they went to, uh, went to town in Ledore, and upon returning, they supposedly thought they were turning their child over to their uh, grandfather, the child's great-grandfather. They went down to the creek, which was right next to the campground, and within 10 to 15 minutes, they go up to find their child to show him some fish in the stream, and he's nowhere to be found, and grandfather assumes he's gone down to them because he was within their line of sight and uh, wasn't too far from the campground. Uh, they started their initial search and eventually called 911 when they realized they couldn't find the child. Where was Mr. Renwand during all of this? He was in the same general proximity. The creek is just over the bank. Um, he's downstream. They're upstream. Uh, they're all within probably 100 to 150 feet of each other. Very close proximity. Very close. So they call 911. You guys arrive and begin searching. Correct. And... Um, at this point, were, were there vehicles searched, the tents? I guess everything out there was probably searched. We did, a, I think, a very thorough investigation. We, uh, we took two initial track dogs in, uh, one of them being mine and one being Sam and Police Department. They're trained to search for people who are lost. Um, they were given a scent. Uh, they went from the campground up to the reservoir and then back to the campground. And we, we searched everywhere a small child could easily hide or climb into or fall into. And nothing. And we found absolutely nothing. Talk a little bit about the cremains that were dumped into because the, the dogs were getting a scent, right. weren't they? Unbeknownst to us, while we were doing our grid search, someone came in and wanted to deposit cremains of a loved one at that site. And I'm assuming it's a favorite site of their loved one and without thinking they deposit these cremains not realizing they were in the middle of a crime scene and what it would do within a couple days our dogs are telling us we need to spend more time up at the reservoir and so we dove it for two or three more days and put side scan sonar and then we found out from one of our blm rangers that they stopped this individual coming out and were informed that they had deposited some cremains in the reservoir. Had he, had Dior been in the reservoir, his body would have been recovered by now? We believe so. Yeah, we really believe so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the store, did the family go down to the, the store there in Ledore, and was there any surveillance captured of this boy, surveillance video? I don't believe they have a surveillance, but uh, we have uh, a receipt that we've documented that they purchased cer certain items, they were on the receipt, the time was stamped on the receipt, and so we believe, you know, that's where they went. It was that Friday morning? Yes, it was. Okay. Uh, do you know, did they stop any other places on their way up to Ledore? Yeah, they, they stopped to get some diesel fuel. Diesel fuel. Yeah. Any surveillance video at that gas no. station? No. Okay. I'd be surprised if there's a camera anywhere in Ledore. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a real it's small remote. community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, as far as uh, the, the private investigator told us a few days ago that, that Jessica said that there was an older gentleman that may have been staring at Dior. Have mm -hmm. you heard anything about that? 
just the report. I don't know that we confirmed who that individual is, but uh, you know, if we had to go out look for everybody that stared at, at you personally or anybody for any uh, type of crime, you know, it, it'd be a pretty difficult undertaking, you know, to, to check those stories out. But, you know, um, yes, we have heard that information. How much of the area up there was searched? It was, I mean, you guys searched for two, three weeks, didn't you, before you officially scaled back? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, almost, almost a three mile radius. And no sign. Absolutely none. Do you believe it was an abduction? You know, personally, I think an abduction is one of the least likely events, primarily uh, the information we have is grandpa's watching the child. He tells me he looks away momentarily. When he looks back, he's gone, and he's assumed he's gone over the bank. Right where grandpa's sitting, he's within 20 to 30 yards of the only roadway into the campground. And absolutely no one was seen at that lower campground coming or going. And when my personnel went in, nobody was seen leaving. So I think it's it, you know, I mean, I can't completely rule it out, but it's one of the least likely things that occurred. What can you say about Mr. Rainwand? Uh, at this point, he's uh, still cooperating. Uh, um, you know, I'm not getting any, uh, any feeling that he's not being truthful. I, I think he's been very truthful, and I appreciate his help. He's come up to the area on a, on a second occasion with me. And uh, until uh, we find a piece of evidence or locate anything that tells me otherwise, I think he's being very truthful. Uh, how about the parents and the grandfather? You know, I think all three, uh, those three have been very cooperative. Uh, they've given us everything we've asked for. And, and so I'm, I feel real good about uh, the parents and, and the grandfather also. Um, the FBI has, has have they would it be correct to say they've taken over or I guess they're working with you they're working with us we've given them uh, lots of items uh, to uh, to analyze uh, behaviorally and uh, we've given them some physical evidence I, I can't go into those details but we're basically uh, trying to cover all of our bases and we're looking for any clue whatsoever that might help us resolve this. And you said Bonneville's also assisting, mainly because family so. lives there. Very much so. Can you say anything about how Isaac ended up on the trip? I, mean, you know, I hate to go into too many details. I mean, obviously, there's a relationship between him and and Grandpa. You know, um, you know. I mean, they're they're friends, uh, but prior to that trip, he had never met Mom or Dad. The. Um, family says their vehicles and cars were searched, which which it sounds like in any case it, that would be standard operating procedure. You know, even though we searched them that night, you know, you always second-guess, did, did we miss something? Could he have been in another compartment? Did we not search everything? So, yeah, everything's been searched at least a couple times, if, if not more. I don't know if you guys as a department been handling this. I mean, that's a lot of manpower mm -hmm. and hours and I'm sure a little bit of frustration mm -hmm. trying to find this kid. Oh, it's definitely been a, a challenge. Uh, we've got some fabulous volunteers. Our search and rescue is second to none. And, 
they've been overwhelmed by this. We've uh, had some issues on, uh, on stress that we've had to deal with. And our office is, uh, my chief deputy has spent endless hours up there. He's climbed literally up to the top of some of the peaks up there. He's walked into some of the old uh, dens of some of the animals that live in those areas and he's been frantically searching for a clue and, and uh, it's been overwhelming. I mean, I, there's been days I've been the only patrolman on the road because all my personnel are up there working at the scene. Have you ruled out a wild animal? I guess, has anything been ruled nothing, out? N absolutely nothing has been ruled there, out. There could have been some interference from, you know, a predator at some time in the scenario, whether mm -hmm. beginning or partway through or no, no. We had bears and wolves running oh, th literally through camp searching. while we were searching. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's yeah. wolf dens nearby, correct? I mean, well, some old ones. We haven't found any any fresh dens, but uh, just over the top of the uh, divide there is a Pesimeroi, and we've understood they've had some issues over there with some wolves, and they've uh, taken out some of the uh, some of the wolves in order to eliminate the problem. So. Where do you guys go from here? Well, we wait until we get our report from the FBI. That's going to be critical. And uh, we're still asking the public uh, to uh, help us if they have any information. To identify a two-and-a-half-year-old with blonde hair, I I'm not sure that's a positive uh, uh, thing for our office because every two and a half year old with blonde hair looks just like Dior and so I'm, I'm asking the public if they know the family and they didn't have a two and a half year old prior to this time period that's that's one I want to look at closely but if if it's somebody they don't know to contact their local law enforcement and have them follow up for us because it's just so overwhelming for our small office. Yeah, have you guys just been bombarded with, with tips? Absolutely, absolutely. What are your thoughts about the private investigator? I guess that's just something mm -hmm. the family's doing on their own. To yep, yep, totally. Uh, you know, uh, uh, kudos to them for you know looking for more help. Um, I can only do so much, and maybe he can uh, turn up something that we've missed. Uh, but I think you know he primarily thinks it's an abduction, and and I think that's very remote. And as far as the lie detector test, you said you couldn't say much about. Uh, yeah, you know, I, they've all, all four have taken voluntarily taken polygraphs, and right now that those have been turned over to the FBI along with the statements, and I would prefer to have them look at the reports and look at the evaluations on the polygraph to make sure we're looking at everything correctly and that we didn't miss anything. At this point, would you feel comfortable saying something criminal happened? No, okay. no, not at all. That interview was taken from August of 2015. So now at the timeline of this interview, we're talking about a, about a month after Dior went missing. Yeah. And there are three really big takeaways that I have from that 10 minute interview, right? Two from the sheriff and one from the interviewer. And I'll just kind of throw these out there and we'll talk about them as we go. The two from the sheriff are this one. He says, look, we talked about the possibilities yesterday, animal attack, abduction, or some type of involvement resulting in the accidental or intentional Opposite, right? death 
of Dior by either a family member or a friend. And I think the way that they're wording that is to suggest that family member or friend, there were three family members up there with the boy and one friend of the family up there with the boy. Right. So can't rule anything out, but that what really hits the home run there in that interview is that statement toward the end of the interview where the sheriff says, if anyone knows the family, he says, I can't, I'm not going to tell you to look for a two year old blonde boy because almost all of them look like Dior. Right. I want to talk to a family member or anyone that knows the family that can say that they did not have this boy or a young boy with them prior to going on this campaign trip. That's right. who I want to talk to. And then the one thing that stands out for me from well, so, the, all right. So, but to unpack that, just to be clear, you're saying that the sheriff is saying, Hey, look, I want proof that that boy was there. Right. Okay. Right. And then the one thing that, that stands out for me from the interviewer is there are multiple questions and multiple times where the interviewer tries to steer the questions and steer the sheriff in the direction of Isaac Renwald, the, the friend, the friend that is up there. Mm -hmm. And I think that is for a number of reasons. One at the time being about a month or less than a month after the disappearance, mm -hmm. the first thing that really people started calling into question when the news of this story broke especially online was a lot of people were very suspicious of this guy, Isaac. Right. And I think one rightfully so because immediately what you see is which one of these things is not like the other. Well, Isaac is the one thing that is not like the other. He's the friend. Everybody else is a family member of this little boy. Yeah. And he's a, and he's a little odd. Let's put it that way. And he's also, it seems to me a little bit on the slow side. So you know what's weird about him and well, not necessarily about him, more so about this whole story and cast of characters to me mm -hmm. is going into this when I first got involved and you and I have both been aware of this case for, for a long time and it's been a while that we've wanted to cover it. Yeah, I've never been able to dive into it as much as I have this week. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to agree with you and thousands and thousands of other people out there that say, this Isaac guy, there's something off with him. He's weird. He's odd. And, and you also have Jessica and Vernal who both say this guy's a little odd. We didn't know him. He's a little weird. Well, the grandfather says that, you know. But the, the funny thing to me... Mm -hmm is after spending a long time reviewing this case and reviewing these four adults, because that's where my suspicion lies within this pack of four adults. Okay. Mm. I find all four of them to be odd. So, so if, if we're going to say that Isaac is odd or weird or, or comes off weird, right. I, I really think all four of them are, are strange birds. Doesn't he seem like he's operating with a lower IQ? to you um yes diminished intelligence or something like that uh, uh -huh. a, a little slower um yes i i think so and and it's pretty i think you know those are things that you hate to say and hate to throw out there but i think that's what most people's conclusion would be watching an interview with him or speaking with him in person right and but also the cops at this point and later they say 
this guy is cooperating. He's cooperating with us, and uh, we believe he's telling the truth. And what's interesting, too, in that interview is we have the sheriff saying basically that all four of these people, all four of these adults are cooperating. All four of them are answering our questions. The grandfather, the father, the mother, they have given us everything we've asked for. Right. Uh, we do have a little more from regarding Isaac where we have the sheriff saying he even came up to the site with me on a second a second time right. to go over everything. Well, and there's a lot of speculation about Isaac online. So when this story broke, there was a couple of things that happened immediately. One was the parents were at the forefront. They were very up front and center. They were, they had the spotlight on them. Everybody knew their names. Everybody knew that it was their son who was missing. That was just part of the news breaking. What did not occur immediately was the release of the grandfather's name or the release of Isaac's name, the friend of the family. And so I think in a way that could have started some type of suspicion about them or, or, or Isaac. Right. But the, the interesting thing here too, is when his name was released, Isaac is repeatedly identified as a sex offender with an extensive criminal history in online forums and on social media for a while. Really? And that's very troubling because again, which one of these things is not like the other? Isaac is just a friend of old grandpa's. Yep. And he's not he's not a parent of this little boy. And oh, he's a little he's, odd. And now online people are identifying him as a sex offender with an extensive criminal history in online forums and on social media. Number one flicky flicky. So the police did address this situation. The sheriff did address this situation. And their answer is very confusing to me. But I have to throw it out there because I, it may help clear some things up. Okay. So the Idaho state, their, their response to this was to say that Isaac was at one time charged with felony rape. And this occurred in 2006, but the charge was amended down to misdemeanor domestic battery. The sheriff went on to say that he, meaning Isaac, does have a criminal record. However, the police reports are not consistent with his record, and I'm not sure why. That was his exact, his exact statement. He does go on to say that oh, what Isaac... What does that mean? Well... He does go on to say that Isaac is not a sex offender. Isaac is not a registered sex offender. And I'm, I'm with you. He does have a criminal record. This is the statement. He does have a criminal record. However, the police reports are not consistent with his record. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure why. I did a little digging, and the best I could come up with here is rumor. But from what I found as far as rumor goes is that this charge that he was originally charged with is in some relation to his ex-wife mm -hmm. and they may have been married at the time and it was reduced to a domestic issue. What I'm getting at is where he says the police reports are not consistent with his record. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if the sheriff, this is just all inferences here. So take it with a grain of salt. I'm wondering if by this time, and I'm, I'm feeling very confident that by this time, the sheriff 
had personally reviewed the police reports from those charges. And he's reviewing it and going, the charge doesn't really line up with the complaint. Right. And so I see why it was then amended to a much lesser charge. Because either Isaac then pled guilty to something or they were able to prove the lesser charge. Because, like I said, maybe the sheriff reviewing the reports says this complaint doesn't match up with what he ends up getting charged with. Let's hear a clip of an interview with Isaac so the garage listeners can get a feel for this individual. So you thought Baby Dior... Was and I be- thought they were all, all we were going as a group, yeah. So, and did you look back, did you actually see them all with you as a group at some point? At some point, before we, we were all as a group before we, as we started to leave the campground, I remember all of us being together. We but were not having, Bob. Right. Bob wasn't there. Bob was at the camp, last day at the camp. Okay. But to the very first spot when you were showing them, do you remember, did, was Jessica holding Dior? Was was Senior Dior holding Dior? Because if he was having trouble walking, he probably would have had to been carried at some point, right? Right. So do you remember if anyone was holding him? If he was, if he was down there... Like I said, I don't, it's like, I don't, like, I can't answer that. I don't, you know, like I said, I don't remember everything. As far as I know, I thought baby Dior was still behind us and I was showing Jessica. Like, when when I went to go show them the fishing hole, like, I went down there and showed Jessica where the fishing hole is and I assumed that, you know, Dior and his dad were right behind me. Okay. Right, or just, just behind us, they just taking them a little bit to catch up. And at what point did you and Dior Sr. and Jessica split up? They went somewhere else and you went somewhere, you said earlier, right? You came down the creek closer to the campground and left them up there? Yeah, And I so did. I don't know, it was like five, ten minutes. I showed them, I think it must have been five, ten minutes. Okay. After I did that, I started to walk. I walked towards camp and I went to another fish mold of fish. And I was down there fishing for a while and... That's when I noticed Bob was up there on the ridge walking, pacing back and forth. So I asked him what was going on, and he said, little Dior is missing. And I was like, what? So, and then, exactly the distance there. On the, You said that Bob was, like, pacing on the ridge. What do you mean, the ridge? It was okay. really high banks. I'm at the very bottom of the, bottom of the bank, so it's hard to even see up over the bank of the mm-hmm. how steep the banks are. So you notice? You said you noticed Bob pacing. Kind of. What did he look like to you? Did he was he stressed? He looked like he was kind of stressed or worried about something. So. And so that's what made you think to ask him what was going right. on. Right. And he said. That little Dior's missing. So. And your reaction was. Well, where where did he go? I've better try to help him look help look for him. So then what did you? I hear? walked up to the bank and started and I talked to. Bob a little bit more about where where they might where he might be and we started looking in the campers and everything first. We looked in the camper, we uh looked all around the area, we looked underneath the vehicles. Um we went up in the hills. I I went up in the hill but up up there about to where the reservoir is. I went up there and looked around. I must have went out by myself for probably about a half an hour. An hour looking, trying to find Dior, and I couldn't find him. So was Jessica and 
Dior, uh, Jessica's boyfriend or fiance at the time, were they at the campsite when Bob told you Dior was missing? When when he was pacing on the bank and you walked up, were they at the campsite? When I when I went down there to talk, when I went up there to talk to Bob, no, they were already out looking for him. So you didn't see him. They were right. They were out. So you and Bob searched the immediate area. Me and Bob searched the immediate immediate area right there for a little bit. His mom came from I don't know. She was out in the sagebrush looking, and she came back to town. I talked to her a little bit, and I said, "What's what's going on here? Like he's missing." Did she seem upset? Yeah, she seemed pretty upset. I couldn't really look at you in the face or anything. She hadn't been able to do that for a while. I don't know for what reason. Do you, so, did you ever have the impression before law enforcement or search and rescue out there, did you ever have a thought that maybe he was, someone took him? Did you ever think that? Or was that something that came about when he just couldn't be found? I thought maybe he got lost or somewhere and sat down. Okay. That's what I, my impression okay. was, or, you know. He or the, just because fiance, you know where he went? Did he, was he in the truck, or did he, on was he on foot? He was on foot for a while, and then he, he was also in the truck, he got in the truck, too, to go down by the cattle guard to go look for him down there, too. Okay. But you you stayed busy, then? You right, were, I stayed okay. busy looking, going up the, up the hills, all over, yeah. Was... Dior Sr., did he get, was he angry? Did he get aggressive with Bob? Did he say, like, you know, you, he was here last. Like, was there frustration? I think there was a little bit, but he didn't seem to get too angry at Bob, so. So Dior, did he ever appear frustrated or anything that Dior, did he tell Bob at the time he, I left him here with you? Did he ever say anything like that? Not that I remember, no. Did Vernal, Dior, Jessica's boyfriend or fiance, he left the campground. Did he leave the campground in his truck to go call 911? Do you know? As far as I know, he left the campground in his truck to go look for little Dior by the, the cattle guard. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't know if they left to go call or if they called it from there with one of their cell phones. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Was Bob continuing to look too? Could he get up and down the hills very easy? Yeah, he had kind of a hard time because he had the oxen machine and the tubes, so... Okay. So, was there a shovel involved at any point? Did anybody have a shovel? The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play.
Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. 
With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, so little to do, so much time. Wait, reverse that. (laughs) Reverse that. Cheers. Cheers, man. We got a lot to get to here, and like you said, or not like you said, just a little bit of time to do it. I do want to point out. Do you know where that quote's from? Willy Wonka. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Get with it. He says a couple things backwards and says to reverse it. So I do want to point out here that at some point, the... Lehigh County Sheriff's Department, they announced that all four of the adults that were up on that campsite with little baby Dior, Mm -hmm. at some point they announced that all four of them are considered to be persons of interest. So Isaac, who you just heard there, the grandfather, as well as both the parents. Uh, And you heard in that clip too, the reporter kept referring to Dior's father as Dior several times in there. And that's why I wanted to point out early in this case that sometimes you might hear him referred to as that we've been calling him Vernal uh, to keep it nice and tidy. So we'll continue to do so right now. Do we want to get into the whole shovel thing? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into the shovel thing because you know, that's the last question that was asked. Yeah. So apparently this is according to Jessica that there was a shovel that she said had like some mud on it, like it was recently used. Right. And this is, this shovel incident takes place once law enforcement are on the scene, once they are searching for Dior. And she, she says that she tells the, tells law enforcement about this shovel, points mm-hmm. it out to him says, look, the shovel looks like it was recently used. Now, also at this time, she's already telling law enforcement that Isaac is a bit odd and that they don't really know anything about this guy. So somehow they connect this shovel to him or they want to talk to him about the shovel. She says that they take Isaac away from the group. They talk to him for, for a while. Um, and they are going to look and examine, look at and examine the shovel. She says something about a hair being on, Blonde hair, yeah. Uh, blonde hair, and she, she says this could have been one of Dior's hairs. She points it out to the uh, law enforcement and then reaches to grab it, and it blows away in the wind. Yep, and it's gone, gone, it's gone forever. forever. 
And so I guess once they're done talking to Isaac, he comes back to the group and knows that they were talking about the shovel. And Jessica says Isaac then begins rubbing the shovel or touching the shovel, something to that effect, which she found to be incredibly weird. On August 12th, 2015, private investigator Frank Vilt joins the search. The way that this is explained, how this comes about, is that Frank Vilt is a friend of the family somehow, and he offers his expertise into helping the family. This relationship does not seem to go very well at all. No. And it seems to unravel and fall apart fairly quickly. I love private investigators. All of them seem to have a little bit of a cocky swagger. <laughs> like, like they're going to come in and they, they know what's best. Well, Mr. Vilt is a retired U.S. Marshal. Mm-hmm. So he has a good amount of experience and he's offering his help. And as we said, this seems to fall apart very quickly. At some point, he withdraws himself from assisting the parents of Dior. Yeah. And he even issues them a statement regarding such. Yeah. And within that statement, here are some interesting words that he uses. Quote, my stipulation was that both of you would be absolutely truthful. This is him talking to the parents of Dior. In my professional opinion, both of you lied and misrepresented the true facts that could possibly solve the mystery of your missing son. What we have here is the investigator is stating these individuals, he does not think that they have been truthful with him. Right. And thus hindering his investigation. He's starting to be suspicious that they know more. Why would they not want to be truthful with this man that's trying to help them out? Yeah, if you're hearing inconsistencies in stories, you're going to go, hey, what's, why are you lying? There's also some other angles here, and one of them being the reward money. Now, mm. this is reported many different ways, so I'll just kind of give you the whole of it, and you can decide exactly uh, what was going on. It was reported that at one point they were offering 5000 maybe even $10,000 for information yeah. regarding the missing boy. And I believe this would have been coming from like crime stoppers or something in the general area, the community coming together and trying to help this family. At some point, private investigator Frank Vilt says, you know what? We need to increase this amount. Yeah. This might not be enough money to, to draw somebody out that could really know something. So I, knowing that you don't have even the funds to pay me to help you, and that you don't have the means to build this reward yourself, I will offer up some of my own money. I'm already giving you my time. Yeah. So I'll offer up some of my own money. Let's increase this reward to $20,000 and make this a national case and make it, you know, let's get some substantial reward money here to try to draw out some possible information, some leads onto where your son could be. His statement says that they were not on board with that, that the parents of Dior were not on board with increasing the reward amount. Right, which on one hand makes it look pretty fishy. But on the other hand, they might not be wanting to, you know, they're already asking this guy of his time and his effort and his energy 
and maybe they think this is a simpler case and it, it should be solved quickly and we should find answers quickly and we don't want you to put up your own money. We, we've already asked enough of you. I think you go to the ends of the earth to find your child. Right, but it goes back to, you know, the mother's crying too much. The mother's not crying enough. I mean, it's hard to put yourself in their shoes and to know how you would react. Me or you, I would think we'd both go, yes, offer more money. You know, you're you're willing to do that for me? What a great person. I like the cut of your jib. For me, this is one of the most suspicious behaviors of any of them, of any of the behaviors throughout this entire case. I think that it would be bizarre to not allow this man to offer further help and assistance to try to to find your son. We have right. we have the father. We heard his own words. We will find you. We will find you. We will not stop looking. Yeah. So to me, this is this is a very suspicious uh, behavior by the parents. Now, we do need to keep in mind, we are not privy to conversations that, that occurred on the phone or within closed doors meetings between this investigator and the family. Right. So we, we keep that in mind. But again, I find this to be very strange. And I haven't heard their rebuttal if they have one on this situation. So should we get into Frank Vilt's theory as to what he thinks may have happened here? Yeah. Because we got so many things to kind of go through and the order is the proper order to do them is not very clear to me at this moment. So let's just wrap up Frank Vilt. Mm hmm. So he gives this very uh, he he gives a letter to the family explaining why he's no longer going to be working their case. At some point, he says, "You know, I have a theory, and I've poured through some of their information. I don't have any evidence to back this theory up. I just have suspicion." And what he says is he believes that one, the mother Jessica knows exactly where her son is or knows what happened to Dior. And two, he cites that she at one time has given away custody of her two other children that she has. Yeah. And that there was a, an old marriage that no longer existed. And at some point she gave over full custody, basically an adoption process to her, her ex-husband. Yeah, they make it seem like it's an adoption process, quote-unquote, but she still had visitation. She still saw her kids, so it, that's very unclear. Yeah, that that is her rebuttal. I am still involved with them. I still see those Yeah, and it, it was simply, look, the, the dad was involved, and he had quite a bit of money, and he could provide a better life for them, and she wasn't working, so that's her rebuttal. Yes, and then we do have in January of 2016, remember we mentioned that the sheriff's department at one point named all four adults as persons of interest in this case publicly. Well, in 2016, they now elevate the parents to the status of suspect. Yeah, but they're also going to get another private investigator involved. Yeah, and this occurs before... They're named suspects. Okay. So November 23rd of 2015, KIC Texas, this is a private investigative firm. They joined the case. 
And on January 9th, there is a fundraiser held to pay for KIC Texas. But just seven days later, KIC Texas says Dior is no longer alive. Then we have January 25th, where the parents are named by law enforcement as suspects. And the following day, Vernal Coons hires an attorney. On May 2nd, Philip Klein, he's one of the investigators with KIC Texas, says Jessica Mitchell knows where the toddler's body is. And the next day, the Coons family fires KIC Texas. They are told that the Coons family will sue KIC Texas. Well, this is a lot to unpack because you have this team searching for answers and they're now saying that the mother knows where the son is and that the son is dead. Mm -hmm. And where's their evidence for this? So they're brought into this case cold, we should say that. They're brought in with no assumptions, and they're going to go in there with phase one of their investigation is to interview all four of those adults that were up at the campsite. And it's through the course of these interviews. Now, mind you, I don't think that they ever spoke with Isaac directly. They spoke with the grandfather and the two parents. And what their findings were is that they were being told different stories that we have the parents telling the record states from KIC Texas that they were told five different stories by both parents who were interviewed separately. And they questioned some of the statements that they received regarding the grandfather. Now what they do state regarding Isaac is that they, Again, I don't think they spoke with him directly. Their statement is that he spoke with law enforcement on four different occasions and gave the same story every time. Well, I have a couple problems with this Philip Klein, and I don't know if you've seen some of the statements that he's given about this. One, he claims, we came in cold. We knew nothing. And then the next statement is, we came up with three theories. Their three theories were the same as the sheriff's theories. Yes, they. after speaking with the sheriff's department, those were the theories that they were going to investigate. Right, which if you're going in cold, you don't ask for theories. You also don't just ponder, okay, here's the situation. Now let's sit around and think about theories because that what you're doing is you're creating a theory and now you have to follow that down the rabbit hole until you get to the end. Right. If you're coming in cold, you come up with no theory. You let evidence direct you to theories and then you go down those rabbit holes. And yes, they interviewed these people, three out of the four. Where's your due diligence there? And then on the other hand, yes, there's parts of their stories that don't light up. They don't go through and tell you which ones don't line up. And if you watch some of these interviews, some of the things that don't line up is the parents say, well, we told grandpa to watch our son. We went walking up there. Then they asked grandpa, were you told to watch the son? I guess so. That's what they told me. I can't really remember. 
So is that one of the things that is not lining up? Because if if that if there's ten of those that don't line up, is is it miscommunication or is it a lie? Well, so just to clarify, and this is according to KIC Texas to their official statement, is that they came into the case cold in November of 2015. Okay. Um, They said that they did not review, read, or correspond with any agency or media group until after phase one was established in the investigation. This phase included, but was not limited to, interviews with family, friends, relatives, witnesses, and site location information. Post-completion of phase one, it was after these interviews that it was determined that they needed to follow up uh, and examine the three theories that, that we discussed. So it, it is their official statement that they did come in cold, that they it wasn't until interviews and all that was conducted that they arrived at the same three theories that the sheriff's department did uh, that needed to be investigated at the time. Right. But again, if you look at the statements that they have released, they make tons of gigantic claims like we know that the son is dead. We know the mother knows where the son is, just she won't tell us. These are huge claims that you're not backing up with any evidence. So you're just putting this out to the public. You're just putting this out to the media and you're not giving us the reason why. Look. If you want to make a statement like that, I have I have no problem. And if they're pieces of shit, they're pieces of shit. And let's figure out what happened to this kid. What I have a problem with is you making statements and then and not coming up with not releasing any evidence to to uh, back up your your statements. And these are damning statements. That's why they're being sued. And then they also do stuff like, well, we raised twenty nine thousand dollars for their, they weren't going to be charged um, hourly rates. It was just going to, you know, they're going to raise this money just through, through fundraisers, through fundraisers. And it, they make a big deal about how, well, out of the $29,000 raised, 20000 we used. We don't really know where the other 9000 is. Right. Okay. Well, you have two parents that are not working that are spending their time searching and you have, you know, all that stuff going on. And there's a lot of times in these cases where some of that money goes to the family. But again, it's one of those things. We're going to throw some shade. We used 20 some thousand dollars. There's 9,000 missing. Oh, that makes these parents guilty. Well, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I don't think that that look, I don't want to get into trying to determine what the intentions are of KIC Texas. Right. If this were me in this situation, I would do exactly as they did with that statement that you just said, because, OK, keep this in mind. They agreed to take on the case. This was based off of through fundraisers that was with the general public. So me, I would feel that I owe an explanation to the general public that came together to raise all this money to hire me. And now I'm accusing the parents. Right. So I, right, right. My, my problem with that though, is if you're a private investigator 
if you're a team of private investigators and you know that sometimes the money is used for things like that to pay rent and because life goes on. Your kid's missing and life is going on. You would know this. It so, doesn't matter. That's not my obligation uh, here. What I'm, right, what, I'm right. what I'm saying is people need to be more concerned with the truth and what they're trying to do. And This and, is and, all the truth. And, the, no, no the, the statements they're making is we, we can throw shade and then we don't have to back that up with shit other than, don't you think no, that's I'm not, a little strange? I'm not talking about any other statement other than just the money right now. No, I understand. Look, look, the money I get. But what I'm saying is if you're a private investigator, if you raise money before and the money goes toward you towards your expenses but it also sometimes goes to paying the 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 parents rent that that month you know that that's a possibility so don't just put it out there with we spent 20 some thousand and we don't know where this other money is so look down upon the the parents and that's what i'm saying that's irresponsible they could have made i don't think it's irresponsible at all i understand that you feel the need to tell the public where the money went. Yeah, that's that's if I were in the situation, that would be my only obligation is that I need to tell you where the money that you people put together, your hard earned money that you put together for this investigation, I'm going to tell you exactly where it went. And my statement is $29,201 was raised for the investigation of which 20,000 was used for investigators and equipment travel and hotels only. Investigators' hourly costs and all other costs have been donated to the Klein Foundation that is funded by KIC Texas and the stockholders of KIC. Right. This is where they're saying we have no idea what happened to the $9,201, these other monies given. This is where the Coons family can come forward and say, we had to pay our rent. Right. We've out of, they're the ones that have, that's their obligation to the public. Okay. I, I have, I agree there as okay. a, as a businessman and as myself, I only took a, a percentage of the money raised. I only need to answer for that. Okay. And I don't think that they're, but what, what, what they did in the statements that they released, if you read the statement that they released, the, I am reading the statement that they it, released. It's constantly, let's throw a little shade, give you no evidence, uh, to back up our statement and then move on to the next one. Throw more shade. Don't back it up with any evidence. And maybe they don't have to release that to the public. But I think when you're when you're sitting there making these bold statements, why do you think that? Why do you think that the the kid is dead? Why do you think that the mother knows where the kid is at? You know what what led you to that? Just lies or inconsistencies? And that that's my problem with the statement. I agree with that. I do. I don't think that all of this was handled in the best, most professional manner. But also keep in mind, if they do have any evidence that led them to those conclusions, the public is not the right place for that to end up. The The proper place for that is to turn that evidence over to law enforcement. Now, Right, but you could also make the statement of, simply like the the last private investigator we think that they're being they're not being cooperative or they're not telling us the truth and we're backing away from this and we're giving all the information that we've collected to the authorities but to me this statement was we're going to throw as much against these parents as we can and to publicly shame them 
Well, here's one part that is left out of some of those documentaries and some internet coverage of this case. And this is from KIC Texas. When they are talking about all the searches that they conducted through their course of their investigation, okay, this is actually listed as their secondary search. And this is very interesting information. One, they say that investigators searched by permission in the 900 block of Ada, Idaho Falls, Idaho, mm-hmm. which is the former residence of Vernal Coons and Jessica Mitchell. Yeah. Both have been evicted for not paying rent and left in the apartment furniture and clothing. In such, the landlord had cleaned out the apartment and moved all the articles to a near dumpster, to near the dumpster for removal as the property had been declared abandoned by the landlord. Right. Investigators were given permission to search the abandoned waste by the landlord. During the search, we will report investigators found the following. One, four matchbox cars described previously by the parents as missing, and they did not know where they were. Two, a camo child's jacket, similar to being described by both parents as being worn on the day of the event and suggested to be missing with the child. Three, a credit card used by fam- by a family friend with seemingly purchases of items unknown to investigators in testimony. Four, an insurance tracking device box and instruction package. All evidence was turned over to the Lehigh County Sheriff's Office for further testing with the U.S. DOJ and FBI. All right. There's some things to unpack. The camo jacket. Little strange could have multiple jackets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the matchbox cards, uh, you know, I could care less about. I don't think there's much there. These, I, I think the 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 reason why they call these into question is because they are saying that these cars were described previously by the parents as missing, right? And they didn't know where they were. What's with this credit card? So. I don't know what's up with this credit card because here they what's up ne- with that? They need to be vague, right? They right. can't tell us what the purchases were and when they took place. But what they are saying is this card was used by a family friend with purchases of items unknown to investigators throughout the course of testimony given by likely the parents. Right. And what what the hell's an insurance tracking device box? I don't know. Some kind of tracking device with instructions yeah that's i don't know that's that's very strange maybe maybe somebody could add that to the blog and let us know what what the hell that is but yeah i think the key the 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 big thing there the big thing that you call into question there is the camo jacket the one that we've always heard all along that is described to be similar or the same as what the boy was wearing when he was last seen by his parents. Right. Well, no, look, I think that's something, but again, there's kids that like camo and they have multiple camo jackets. And and I, I get that, but it's just like the money situation. Right. I, as an investigator, my only obligation is to tell you what I found and what I'm using your money for. I am not preventing the Coons family or the parents of ever coming forward in, in giving a rebuttal or adding to that information and saying, we, we had to use the money for rent. We had no choice. Yeah. Uh, he had two or three camo jackets. We were unaware that that was in the trash. Right. 
I mean, this this one's just so tough. I mean, this case, one, this cute boy, I mean, if you watch any of the footage of him, I mean, he's just, uh, he's kind of a goofball. There's this, there's this scene where he's saying, uh, Mama, I love you, and she's saying, I love you back, and he won't stop saying, I love you. And you'd think it's just this accident that they, they turn their back and he goes missing and, and, and they're going to find him and it's, you know, it's, it's tragedy, but it's an accident or, or there's an animal that took this poor kid away. But it's almost like you can live with that. That's the, that's an accident and those things happen and it's tragic. It's a tragedy. But then when you go all these, we have multiple private investigators ruling out that an animal took this kid away or that he walked off on his own. We have the sheriff saying the same thing. The sheriff is saying, look, the likelihood of this kid being abducted out there doesn't make any sense. We have private investigators saying the same thing. Then we have eyewitnesses that can't put this kid in that area. Out of the four people there, they're saying that there's a, uh, there's a kid there. But three of the people are family members, so are they covering up for each other? And did, did they take advantage of this neighborhood friend, quote-unquote, that's a little odd, that we can, he'll be one of our witnesses, and the boy is never there. And other than him, we have nobody outside the family saying that the boy was even there. And then you have one private investigator go, hey, you fools are lying to me. I'm out the door. Next private investigator comes in. Hey, you fools lying to me. I'm out the door. And then it comes back to this idea, too, with the sheriff saying, we exhausted every option of it being, accident, of it being an accident and the parents not coming clean about it. And that's where it brings you to this statement from Jessica where she says, Hey, look, I was offered immunity. I was offered immunity, but I had to show them the body of my child. And I can't do that. Well, where, when we talk about, you know, we were getting into throwing shade and, and here's the thing I want to, I want us to keep in mind that all along the way, in my opinion, Jessica was showing throwing shade at these unknown, unnamed individuals. Yeah, this this dirty man with the boy at the, the at the store. This creepy guy that was staring at my boy at the store. Right. All along the way, throwing shade at these unnamed individuals or named in- individuals. Look at our look at the family friend. He right. was odd. He was weird. He's he still is weird. Whatever. Yeah. But. The thing, they even threw shade at the grandfather. Yeah, you're right. She does. She's like, if maybe something happened with my grandfather, maybe he did something. Yeah. So the thing I want everybody to keep in mind here, I think this is a statement to 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 throw this out to the public. So where it's going to look like, oh, well, I must be innocent. I must be innocent if I tell all of you that I was offered immunity. And that yeah. I had to produce, I had to show them where the body was. So why would I not be innocent? If I could just show them where the body was, then I, I'm not getting charged with anything. So that's, that's, 
that's as much evidence as you need that I'm absolutely innocent. What she fails to tell you, well, as I believe, this is just my belief. I can't back this up because the sheriff's department and law enforcement agencies have not confirmed that they've ever offered her immunity, right? That I could find. No, no. They're, they're silent about that. There's no comment on that. But I want you to, I want, I'm going to give you a direct statement from Lynn Bowerman, who we heard from earlier. He's the, the Lemhi County Sheriff. Yeah. Let's go through this statement of his and let's read between the lines here. Okay. He says, first he leads in with this. Uh, This is midway through a, a whole long conversation, but he says they could not, meaning the parents, they could not pass the section, this is in regards to a polygraph, on do you know where Dior Coons is at this time and do you know what happened to him? They could not pass those two parts on the polygraph. Captain and I both agreed before the recording of this. It's it's stated publicly that they didn't pass polygraph tests. You and I are just going to throw that out. We're right. going to toss that out completely because we understand how difficult that is to polygraph parents <coughs> of a dead child or missing child who may be actually innocent. So let's just toss that in the trash can and go on to this statement regarding, I think this is in direct regards to her statement about immunity. Well, and back to real quick on that. It's one, because if a parent feels guilty about their child dying or going missing, they will fail that portion. And also if, they are too emotional, they will fa- fail portions of the test. That's why, in most cases, I like lie detectors. In these cases, I do not. So his statement in January of 2016 says, we've given them, meaning both parents, yeah, too many opportunities to tell us what happened if it was an accident. There's been no interest in going that direction. So that tells me there's only one other possibility. It has to be a homicide. I disagree with the end of that statement that it has to be a homicide. Right. I think that that's a very likely possibility. But when I apply this statement to Jessica's statement about me being offered immunity and I have to show them the body, the discussion that you and I had earlier is there's a couple problems with that. That doesn't mean that she's innocent because one, if I'm Jessica and I show you where the body is, if there in fact is one, what if the evidence on that body does not suggest or back up my statement of what accident occurred with that boy? Right. What if they go, well, we found this or that. Now we know this is a homicide. This was not an accident. Right. Now she's in trouble because I would bet you that that immunity, if in fact she was offered that, was stipulated by it being an accident that she be completely truthful and lead them to the body. Right, because why would they give them immunity if they think they're guilty of killing Here's the, the other child? Thing. Let's go back to the first private investigator. He had some thoughts and theories that maybe the child was given away. Yeah. Well, therein lies another problem if you offer me immunity and I have to lead you to the body. There is no body. The boy's alive right? and elsewhere. And there's a lot of speculation that the boy's father is not his real father. And and, and since there's speculation of that, and, and the last private investigator brings this point up as well, but it's like, let's just do the DNA test. 
let's do a DNA test to clear this up. And so we can move on with the investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to point out one other thing that they thought brought Jessica into suspicion was the lack of photos. Um, apparently yeah. she was very diligent about always taking photos of little Dior and posting them online and on social media. And they note that on the camping trip, now be it, it's a short trip from the time they show up to, to the time that he goes missing. It's what, 24 hours, less than 24 hours. They do know, Hey, what you didn't take any pictures of your boy during this time. You didn't post any pictures. So that, that's one thing of interest continuing on with more statements from KIC, Texas. They state that they don't have any evidence other than the testimony of the four adults at the campsite that indicates that Dior Coons, the minor child was on the mountain. And they say, we believe that the parents through family members and through friends in social media have begun a misinformation operation on behalf of the parents to mislead the media, mislead law enforcement, and mislead investigators with KIC Texas, as well as the general public. Stating, we now have, due to the testimony of all witnesses, including store employees, clerks, beer distribution drives, fuel handlers, and credible witnesses that have given credible testimony that we cannot find any person that saw the child go up to the mountain either the day of the event or the evening before we therefore are now moving our timeline of the event back to 5 PM of the day before the 911 call was made. All right. So now that we've heard from pretty much everybody, what, what's your thoughts on this? Um, here's the weird thing for me is that I don't necessarily agree with either the sheriff's department or KIC Texas where both persons have decided to both agencies have decided to back up their timeline and look for people to talk to the day before, before they even went to the campsite. Right. And my reasoning behind this is a couple of things. We, yes, we only have the four adults saying that Dior was ever even there. But the problem with that is if in fact he never was there, then all four of these people have to be involved in some form or fashion. Right. I don't see a situation where all four of them are involved, especially when we see that they all kind of start turning on one another a little bit. Right. But all private investigators and the law enforcement believe the, the family friend. Right. And that's the thing. You can't believe the family friend and then say he was never there that day. That's, that's where your problem is. Because if you believe Isaac's statements And Isaac has said every time Dior was there, he was at the campsite. So where I'm going with this is, is a couple things. Okay. So I think that Dior did go up to the campsite with them where everything starts to fall apart is the next morning when they wake up the next morning. Right. That's when the stories start getting wonky between the grandfather, the, the father and the mother. Then we have Isaac who he can't recall certain things and he seems a little confused about some things. He's guessing sometimes. Yeah. But everybody's stating he's given the same story four different times and they believe him to be truthful. So we have the parents who at some point say, you know what? It could have been this Isaac guy that did something to my child. 
we have the mother who said it could have been my grandfather that did something to this child. The grandfather starts to say, you know what? I'm starting to not think I know what happened up there. I think the problem for the grandfather and or Isaac to be responsible for what happened to Dior is that the timeline is too small. The window of time of opportunity to do something to this boy is too small. Right. The body. And one's not even physically fit. One's carrying around oxygen. Right. He's carrying around oxygen. I don't know what would lead me to believe. Here's the problem. If the grandfather did something wrong, then you have to believe the parent's story, right? Right. If Isaac did something wrong, you have to believe the parent's story. And both their stories say, we left, we went into town, we came back, we're there a short period of time, and then in a window of 10 to 15 minutes, our boy goes missing. Well, that only gives the grandfather and or Isaac 10 to 15 minutes to kill and to, and and get rid of the body mm-hmm. it, it just it doesn't work out because you have to believe somebody's story along the way somebody is telling the truth and i think the person telling the truth is isaac and regarding the grandfather i believe that he's just a little confused well, i think and, i think right, he's a little old his, right because of his age and because he he falls asleep often he, he might not really know what happened I personally think, and I have no idea what actually happened to Dior, but where I have a big problem is day two of the camping trip. As soon as they wake up that morning, the stories start to fall apart. Dior's parents cannot tell you exactly what time they left. They give different reasons for why they left to begin with. And at some point, their stories do start to meet in the middle, but that might be because they're going, well, wait a second. You said you went into town for... Uh, female products. Right. He's saying you went into town for gas. Yeah, they, you could have went in town for both. And they also claim they stopped at four or five places. We have nobody along the way that says that they saw the child with either parent or both parents. And the problem here is we have the mother saying, oh, we interacted with this person. Mm-hmm. And they can confirm that they saw Dior. Nope, they couldn't. No. Oh, and then the father says. I don't even know if they could confirm that they saw her. The father says we were, the boy stayed out in the, in the, you know, near the truck with me and we spoke to this person and they can confirm that me and Dior were there. Right. That person says, nope, I never saw the boy. So what is it? They can't tell you what they had for breakfast, who cooked breakfast. They can't tell you if the boy went into the stores, if he stayed out with his dad, what they went into town for. My thought is that something happened to this boy either after they went to bed the first night of camping or they got rid of him somewhere when they went into town. And I think when they got back, we had a short period of time and we had two guys, two other guys that could be easily tricked. I think that there's a good chance that Dior was never there once they returned to the campsite. And I think we have Isaac and Bob Mm -hmm. who both can't fully recall the exact minutes and movements of what was going on. Right. And I think that whatever happened, it happened and they, they got rid of him elsewhere. Now he could be alive. They could have handed him off to somebody else. Right. And just came back and said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to say that we lost the boy. And now we got these other two guys that can't really confirm what was going on that day. That that's just, that's where I'm kind of left. And I, I know that's not, 
any brilliant thoughts or any brilliant evidence added to any of those thoughts. But it's just when you really start looking at everybody's stories, you have to believe somebody. If not, if that boy never went up on that mountain, then all four of these people are involved in some form and fashion. And I also want to add some things regarding Isaac. Year, one year after the disappearance of this little boy, Mm -hmm. he is asked in an interview, do you think that the parents did something to him? And he says, no, I don't think that, I don't know them very well, but I don't think that they would do anything like that. And that struck me as so interesting where you have all these people turning on one another. They even turned on Isaac. Yeah. And guess what? I think that the investigators really thought Isaac could be their guy very early on. Right. They're talking to him. They interview him four times. He has the most reason to be truthful and say Dior was never there because he was looked at by the family or talked about by the family as a possible suspect. Right. So what, what, what does he have to gain from saying the boy was there that day? The only thing he has to gain from saying the boy was there that day is suspicion upon himself. Yeah. I think investigators wanting to roll back the time period all the way to five o'clock. I don't know if that, is is right but but again it's possible because think about this way you have a short period of time that you're going to go to the campground or you have to set up people are setting up tents we're going to sleep over here in the the blazer and and you're going to be in there and and you could you could probably pretend a little bit that you have oh we're going to put him down for a nap he's already sleeping right and family friend he's a little off so he might let his imagination run wild a little bit and go yeah well yeah the kid was there i saw him in the back seat you know who knows what he saw right i don't know if we should go all the way back but we don't know what happened once everybody fell asleep did the parents leave but i'm also with you on the idea that why did he go into town This doesn't make much sense. And also like most women know their cycles. So most women would know, Hey, I I might be on my period soon. Maybe I should be prepared. Right? So I think between that and then the other excuse of, well, we had to get gas. What do you got to get gas for? You, you knew that you were going to go into this, this, place to to camp out for the night normally if you're running out of gas you go well let me stop here in town and then we'll go out there so i i kind of feel the same thing too maybe what happened that night or what happened in this time period and it's it's very odd to me that you have two people that can't recall even how long they were gone for like the you know the grandfather and the family friend they can't recall so who knows how long it was and it's like was it 2 hours was it 3 hours was it 4 hours we don't know and uh, but i think they would be able to track their phones though and that's what makes me believe that maybe they can't prove that they went further out 
than they claim that they did. And maybe that's why they're putting their time period back to the day before they left. But this is a difficult one and it's very sad. And, and it's like, I, I guess there's a party that, that wants to believe the parents aren't horrible pieces of shit, but with the inconsistencies and nothing ever lining up. And it's, it's one thing if one private investigator doesn't like you, but two, and then law enforcement turns on you. And it seems like everybody keeps turning on them. And those people just don't turn on the parents of a missing child for no reason. Yeah, unless that boy was abducted in, in, a, in a very tiny, short window of time with four adults up there who saw nothing with one way in, one way out. Nothing else makes sense to me. The I, parents are the only two that had an opportunity to get rid of the boy or the body. Right, but I can't get over that statement of the search dogs with the scent did not pick up a scent of that boy. I can't get over that. Again, though, that leads you to, if you believe he was never there, then all four of these individuals are in on this. And the the opportune time to get rid of this boy is when they go back into town. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they dumped a body. They could have hit a body or they could have handed the boy off to somebody at some point. Right. The other thing that I call into question here is you are taking care of your grandfather. He requires a caregiver. He is on oxygen 24-7. I'm not leaving my two-year-old boy who is described as a real go-getter who moves quick with my elderly oxygen-needing grandfather alone. That makes no sense. Just doesn't line up. Yeah, so regardless of why they claim that they went into town, maybe he needed fuel because they were running something off of the car when it was turned on. Maybe she did need these products. That I don't so much call into question. I call into question a lot of the behaviors and the, the, the statements that just don't line up. Before we wrap up, Captain, we should very much include that, yes, the Coons family did carry through and follow through with their lawsuit regarding KIC Texas. Yeah. And just this month, as of May 2019, a court dismissed the case. And before we wrap up today, we have a little recommended reading for you. Check out the book, The Lazarus Files, a cold case investigation. On February 24th, 1986, A 29-year-old newlywed was murdered in Los Angeles. The shocking truth about who killed her would not emerge until 2009. A DNA match led the LAPD to arrest one of their own detectives. Check out this book, and you can find all of our recommendations at truecrimegarage.com. Click on the recommended page. And make sure while you're there, you sign up on the mailing list so you can get the promo code. We're giving a special promo code to mailing list members only. For 15% off everything in the garage store, we're having a little bit of a garage sale. That's right. And we will see all of you right here back in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.